Couchfish, Climb Every Mountain, Part 1. A quick word of introduction. My name is Stuart MacDonald and this is Couchfish, the perfect tub of ice cream for the traveller stranded on the couch. The newsletter has both a paid edition which traces a fantasy itinerary through Southeast Asia and a free one that covers, well, everything else. This is a two-part series with the conclusion tomorrow. Today I'm looking at the story behind Bali's Mount Batur and what the trekking experience can be like today. Tomorrow, some thoughts on how perhaps the visitor experience could be better managed. Both pieces are free to read, but if you'd like to support me finding more tourism stuff to moan about, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Thank you. Sorry about the rooster. Situated in the northern reaches of Bali, Mount Batur is a 1,717-metre peak at the centre of an enormous caldera. Thought to have once towered to some 3,000 to 4,000 metres, two tremendous eruptions some 20 to 30,000 years ago halved its height. Still active, the volcano has over two dozen recorded eruptions to its name, with the lava of a 1960s eruption still blanketing the caldera floor. While nearby Mount Agung may be the better known, Batur is easily the most popular to climb. Batur has two creation myths to its name. One holds that Bali was once a free-floating, dare I say free-thinking, island cruising the ocean's surface. Hanging out on Mount Semeru, this bothered the gods, so they decided to anchor it in place. To do so, they shifted Semeru's peak to Bali, breaking it in two, with Agung forming the male half, and Batur the female. The better tale also harks back a bit to the days when a giant named Kebo Iwa called Bali home. No, he wasn't named after the Nusapanita fast boat that sank last year, though there are some interesting angles on his name here. A kind-hearted soul, he was gargantuan in both size and appetite, and when his tummy rumbled, his temper flared. After a bad rice harvest one year, famine ravaged the island, and the Balinese didn't have enough to satisfy his appetite. He spat the dummy and smashed the place up, filling his belly with villagers, rather than whatever it was giants ate back then. For the people, this was a bummer, and they came up with a plan to deal with their giant man-child once and for all. Once he chilled out, they convinced him to amend for his tantrum and fix stuff up, which he did. When it came to sorting out some water, the villagers pointed him to North Bali and asked he dig a well. Digging and digging, deeper he went, all the while the mound of displaced earth growing. As he dug, the villagers piled limestone on the other side of the well. When he struck water, they built him a house to say thanks, they told him. This pleased Keboiwa.
When he finally struck water, the giant figured he deserved a bit of a kip and took a nap at the bottom of the well. The villagers, seeing him snoozing, threw the limestone in around him where it mixed with the water turning to a gooey paste. When the giant awoke, he realized something was up and threw another tantrum, but all he got for his efforts was for the mushy limestone to hold him fast. The water gushed in and poor old Keboiwa drowned. When the water ebbed, Lake Batur took shape and the giant's mound of earth became Mount Batur. Moral of the story, don't sleep at the bottom of a well, particularly if your so-called mates are stacking up limestone by the side. Mount Batur forms the centerpiece, centerpiece of the Batur UNESCO Global Geopark. Designated in 2015, the park encompasses over 370 square kilometres, with famous for its coffee and touts Kintamani perched on the caldera's southern rim. A popular destination for both local and foreign tourists, some come for the cool climate and coffee, others for the majestic views or hot springs. A growing number, though, come to climb as I did with, a son, with my son and a mate of his on Saturday morning. A tiny family-owned homestay in Banjar Alengkong on the caldera's northeast ridge was our home for the night. As the sun fell, we enjoyed magnificent views across to Mount Agung to the east and Batur to the south. Later, we warmed ourselves by the fire as a million stars twinkled above. If this weather holds, we're up for a good climb, I remember thinking. The homestay was a 30-minute drive from where we would start climbing at Pulapasa Agung. From there, as the crow flies, it is less than a kilometre to the rim, about an hour and a half climb, according to our guide. Many, though, begin their trek two and a half kilometres or 45 minutes on foot earlier from the main road. When I say many, I mean many. Along that drive, while I wasn't counting, I reckoned we passed close to 500 people. Western guys shone torches in our driver's face and yelled cheaters as we drove by. Sorry we didn't walk from Kelopokan, fellas. I knew Bato was popular, but I didn't expect crowds of this scale, and at the temple parking lot, I realised I hadn't seen anything yet. Trekkers thronged by the temple, and in the distance, the glow of their torches illuminated the entire trail to the summit. The climb wasn't too hard, I worked up a bit of a sweat and some panting occurred, but compared to climbing a gung, it's a walk in the park. What made it a chore, not only a chore, but dangerous, were the crowds. When climbing, you want some distance between people, for slips, dislodged rocks and so on, yet here people were on top of one another. 
If I slowed to allow for a few metres between the next trekker and myself, some impatient would barge past, inserting themselves into the gap. I'd say for the first hour of the climb, I had someone else's boots in my immediate field of vision the entire time. People fell and slipped, rocks flew, and tempers frayed. It was not ideal. In summary, it sucked. It made for both a crap experience and an unsafe one. Nevertheless, the three of us and our guide reached the rim in good time, with a half hour to spare before dawn. I watched the start of the rim. I wandered the start of the rim and witnessed the most unexpected of scenes. Guitars strummed, as did music from smartphones. Vendors flogged beer, coffee, snacks and polished lava bracelets. Aloft, at least a half dozen drones buzzed and there were selfies aplenty. A crowd of hundreds, predominantly foreign, were setting up along a series of terraces hewn into the, ridge, into the rim. Along each, simple wooden benches allowed for more comfortable seating. In other benchless areas, people marked out their territory much as you would a tract of sand by the sea. Across the peak, the entirety of the rim, with a circumference of almost a kilometre, glowed with trekker torches. By the time the sun rose behind Mount Rinjani on Lombok, there had to be at least a thousand people at the summit. Together, we waited for sunrise. I turned to our guide and asked if it was always this busy. They shook their head, saying, It is much worse in August, when we have to start at 1am to get a seat. We'd stumbled upon a volcanic beach party. Tomorrow, some thoughts on some alternative approaches to visit the management at Batur and elsewhere, not only to improve the visitor experience, but also to protect both local people's livelihoods and to better act to respect their faith. Couchfish is 100% independent and reader-supported. If you're not already a subscriber and you'd like to show your support, become a paying subscriber today for just $7 per month. You can find out more about Couchfish here or simply share this story with a friend. Don't forget, you can find the free podcasts on Apple Pocket Casts and Spotify, as well as right here on Couchfish.